blessed Good Friday to you. This is our Good Friday message. Jesus took our punishment. At Central Baptist, we sing a modern hymn called In Christ Alone. It's well-loved and you may know it. Um, and in that song, I think in the third verse, um, the words say, on that cross where Jesus died, the wrath of God was satisfied. This is a traditional way of talking about what the atonement, the at-one-ment that Jesus came to bring between humans and God, um, what it means or how it works. But that's a kind of um, troubling phrase, maybe, um, in our time period. It's kind of an old way, old-fashioned way of talking, but in contemporary to contemporary ears, that phrase, the wrath of God was satisfied, can sound really almost sadistic. Um, God is angry and he needs to be satisfied by somehow punishing somebody, apparently Jesus on the cross. Um, this is a really difficult aspect of the atonement for people today to understand. And there you will find um, in many places near and far, both non-Christians who think this idea is completely disgusting and appalling, um, and even Christians who are saying, yeah, I don't really believe that that's how the atonement works anymore. I don't believe that God is wrathful, or I don't believe that punishment is necessary. Jesus may have died on the cross, but that affects us differently. Um, so we need to talk about this because this is a um, probably the best known understanding of the atonement to date. Um, and because it is an idea that's under fire, we need to look at this. Is it actually in the Bible? Does the Bible really support this idea? If it does, how does it? Um, how does it measure up with our idea of a loving God? Um, basically, every understanding of the atonement that we have talked about over this season of Lent, every single one of them mean Jesus died on the cross for my sins or for our sins, however you want to define our. Um, <clears throat> But not every single one means Jesus was punished for my sins. So we're looking at, um, we've been looking at since Lent began, what it really means to have Jesus have died on the cross. And this view that we're looking at today is technically entitled penal substitutionary atonement. It means um, a punishment was necessary for our sins, for us to be uh, reconciled. And Jesus didn't deserve the punishment. Humans did. Jesus substituted himself on the cross for our sins as the, to take the punishment that we deserved. So is this what the Bible teaches? 
I think it is. We're going to look at Isaiah 53, which was already read this morning on our, um, on our Facebook page. And we're going to see how this fits into the Bible's account of what Jesus did for us. Um, but we need to look a little bit at why people are having a hard time with this idea right now. First of all, the, the idea of substituting someone for punishment and that God, God did this um, doesn't fit with our present day narrative of who or what a loving God must be. It doesn't make sense to us. Um, some of the reason for it not making sense is go figure sin. We have as a species and as distinct cultures, um, we have set ideas about not only about right and wrong, but also what we want to do. And that is more and more the focus of our lives, I think, these days. And, and we don't want to believe in sin, or we believe that other people are sinners, but, but we're not. We just, as long as we're happy, um, everything is fine. And so we don't want to be, we don't want to um, acknowledge sin, and we don't want to be responsible for it. The other reason why this view of the atonement is falling out of favor, I guess you could say, is also, go figure, sin. <laughs> even people who hold to this idea, who believe it very strongly, even if it's their only understanding of how the atonement works at all, when this view of sin requiring punishment becomes our only understanding of the at one that Jesus accomplished for us, many people who believe this view end up, not everybody, but many people end up with a very skewed view of the entire message of the Bible, including who God is, the nature of God, what, or what God is like, including sin, what sin really is, how it affects us, what it means, why it's why it's serious or, or how it's serious. Um, we end up with a skewed view of who we are, who humans really are, and we end up with a skewed view of what our destiny is. And if we misunderstand these things on the basis of this view of the atonement, at best, we become very dutiful but joyless participants in the good works that we believe God wants of us, we, we don't want we don't want to do them. We just do them because we have to obey. And um, at worst, if we misunderstand the nature of God and what sin really is, and who humans really are, and what our destiny is, at worst, we end up hating ourselves. And in that self hatred, which we may or may not be conscious of, we end up neglecting or abusing others. You may think I'm making this up or I'm making too strong of a case. I'm not saying this is what happens at Central Baptist per se, but I am very aware that this is a danger um, because I've seen it happen with real people. And I believe that this misunderstanding of Jesus being punished for our sins um, kind of underlies a whole lot of the real sin that is being committed by some churches and particularly by some church leadership in our current time. The purpose of this sermon is not to point out those examples. We're not, we don't need to go there today. 
but we can talk about it if you really need to hear some some real life examples or discuss what this is really about, um, feel free to reach out to me. We can have a conversation about it. So there are some dangers to this view. If it is um, misunderstood or, or um, elevated to the only view or that kind of thing. But there are also dangers to rejecting this view. If we don't understand, believe, perceive that Jesus actually took punishment that our sins deserved, all the other atoning acts that we've learned about kind of keep sin at a distance from us. So if we are ransomed from the false gods or purified from a sin-contaminated environment or even freed from the slavery of both committing sin and having sin committed against us, we get the idea that sin is not really our fault. We're the victims here. None of this was our choice. As soon as we start talking about punishment, though, we have to face the fact that we ourselves as individuals, families, and communities are personally guilty of choosing sin as well. And that we are also responsible for the cosmic and eternal consequences of sin. So it's not just out there or around me or being inflicted on me or I'm, I'm helpless in the face of sin. I can't, I can't help it. I have personal responsibility for sin that I have committed. And that sin is responsible for putting Jesus on the cross. So if punishment for sin is the only way we understand what was needed for our atonement, we are in danger of reading the entire Bible as if it's one big long book about escaping the wrath of God. And it gives us a super messed up view of what God's love is really like or about. But if our starting point for reading the Bible is that the whole thing ultimately shows and tells us that God is love, that puts everything even his wrath, even his anger at sin, even punishments for sin in its right context and place. <clears throat> if God is love, everything we think, read, say about him should start there. So Psalm 53 is our main passage for today. And it is the primary Old Testament passage that specifically talks about punishment being necessary for humans, or in the case of the psalm itself, uh, or the passage itself, for the Israelites or the Jews to be reconciled. <clears throat> now that we're contemplating the atonement through the lens of God's love, we can see how some of the other Old Testament passages, besides this one, which we thought told us about punishment for sin, um, like the Day of Atonement practices, all those sacrifices in Leviticus, really they show us all the different levels at which Jesus has to deal with our sins. Sin isn't just this one aspect thing. It affects every level of human, human life. And so when we have all these different ways of looking at the atonement, this actually gives us more cause to rejoice as we realize that our sin is atoned for in every possible way by the work of Jesus on the cross, which we're recognizing today. When we realize this, our testimonies can become more confident, they can become more joyful, they can become deeper and broader, and now we can look at Isaiah 53 
and the punishment aspect of the atonement through the lens of God's love instead of contemplating God's love through the lens of punishment. So many contemporary Jewish people struggle with this passage. Part of, it's part of a larger section of Isaiah about a suffering servant, mysterious suffering servant person. The suffering servant is interpreted by Jewish people typically, and even by some Christians, including to an extent me, as a personification of the people of Israel, who we know that God chose to bless the world. Well, Jesus is actually the ultimate personification of the people of Israel through whom God chose to bless the world. So this is appropriate. In some ways, the story of the Jews still parallels Isaiah 53 and makes sense since Jesus and the Jewish people are so closely tied. But there are some other ways in which there is less of a connection between Isaiah 53 and the Jewish people specifically. For example, in this chapter, we see that the servant is innocent and sinless, and we in this passage, which originally would have been the Jews themselves, know that we are not innocent and sinless. It was the Jews' very sinfulness that landed them in exile, which was the time period that passages like this were being given. To us, this passage is really obvious. Um, it clearly is talking about Jesus' experience on Good Friday, and Acts 8 confirms it. Um, the Ethiopian that Philip met in the desert was reading this passage, and Philip interpreted it to him as being about Jesus' work on the cross. So Isaiah 53, 7 to 9 says, he was oppressed and afflicted, yet he did not open his mouth. He was led like a lamb to the slaughter, and as a sheep before its shearers is silent, so he did not open his mouth. By oppression and judgment he was taken away, yet who of his generation protested? For he was cut off from the land of the living. For the transgression of my people he was punished. <clears throat> we, Isaiah says, saw out what happened to the servant, and we let it happen. We didn't protest. He was punished for the sins we committed. But here's a question. Who punished him? This is really important for the struggle that people have with this idea of the atonement. Who punished him? Verses four to five. Surely he took up our pain and bore our suffering. Yet we considered him punished by God, stricken by him and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace was on him, and by his wounds we are healed. In other words, we thought God was punishing him, but we punished him. Our sins punished him in two different ways. First of all, they were the means of punishment. The act of killing God is a sin, and every sin that we commit, every act of treason against God, every act of oppression against other people, every selfish choice, that we think is to make us happy, but denies what God wants for us. Um, all of those things, the logical conclusion, the ultimate end result is to say, God, I want you dead. So all of our sins are actually the means of putting Jesus up on the cross. They were also the reason for punishment. Jesus really did not deserve punishment for our sin. We did. 
but Jesus really received the punishment that our sins deserved. So in that sense, because it was our sin, God, you know, it says the Lord laid it on him, but it was our sin. And so in that sense, we punished him. But what about verse 10? Verse 10 says, yet it was the Lord's will to crush him and cause him to suffer. And though the Lord makes his life an offering for sin, he will see his offspring and prolong his days and the will of the Lord will prosper in his hand. Sin does deserve and require punishment. And it is ultimately God's responsibility to see that that punishment is carried out. God is the creator. God is the judge. And the key to understanding this verse, I believe, is punishment in the light of the love of God. And the key to understanding that is to remember the Trinity. God is not a committee. God is a fully united, loving Trinity, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. So sometimes the term God is used for the Father, God the Father. But this is the Old Testament, so there's not this sense of the, the three in one yet. And I believe that this is saying God, the fullness of God. It was the fullness of God's will to crush him. God the Son, and cause him to suffer. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit all agreed on this. This is so important. There have been people for literally centuries who believe that the Father wanted the Son to suffer. Or the father really hates humans, but Jesus really loves humans. And Jesus said, oh, dad, please just punish me instead. This idea emphasizes a divided God, but the Bible doesn't show us that. God is love, which means that God is fully loving within God's self. Father, son, and Holy Spirit love each other, and they are all on the same page. And they all three in one love us. This decision was made by the whole Trinity. It was God's will to cause God the Son to suffer, not because the Father and Son were at odds and this weird sadistic arrangement was the only way they could come to terms with what to do with us and our sin, and not because God the Father can't look at us until he can see Jesus instead of us, but because God loves us so much that even though sin is our fault as a species and as individuals, he really does not want us to suffer eternally with it or for it. So he, God, went through hell on earth and in hell and actually in heaven on behalf of everybody so that at least some of us might choose to receive this full and costly atonement, this many-layered arrangement to restore us to unity with God and with each other and with creation and within ourselves. God loves us so much, he sacrificed himself physically in the person of the Son, while the Father and Spirit also suffered for us. Also that our cosmic debt, 
which was both the cause and the means of the punishment could be paid in full. After he has suffered, he will see the light of life and be satisfied. By his knowledge, my righteous servant will justify many and he will bear their iniquities. Therefore, I will give him a portion among the great and he will divide the spoils with the strong because he poured out his life unto death and was numbered with the transgressors. For he bore the sin of many and made intercession for the transgressors. Thanks be to God. And this is the second to last way we will contemplate the atonement. There's one more for Easter. Amen. Good Friday. <laughs>